Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast, the podcast where two ladies, oh, I do this every drink time, drink and mumble profanity, but we don't drink anymore, and play games and laugh way too often, and viewer discretion is advised, because oh, sometimes we talk about some, some stuff that's they're scary. Us. They're listening to us. Listener discretion is advised, because sometimes we talk about scary shit. Sensitive topics. Sensitive topics. And scary shit. Scary shit. <laughs> Spoopy stuff. Whatever, let's be. <laughs> That's our disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome. I'm I'm one of your hosts. Uh my name is Emily. Emma <laughs> My name is Jen. Emma Fern Gemily. Yes, and welcome back to another episode of Wheel of Crime. Uh, what are we covering this week? This week we're going to talk about small town crimes. Ooh, you know I love a good small town. I, I mean, I'm kind of indifferent towards them, but... <laughs> You're like, that's neither here nor there. Well, shall we spin our wheel and see what our questions are this week? Yeah, let's do it. I want to go first. <laughs> okay. Yay! What's your best small town experience? This one time... <laughs> I went to this charming little town in Connecticut, and it was called Stars Hollow. Really? <laughs> did you? I did. I met the most wonderful characters there. There was this chef, and she was fabulous. Her name was Suki. And then there was this girl, Rory, who showed me the greatest literature I've ever read. Oh, and let me guess you went to one of Miss Patty's shows? I did. I it was so cool. It was the so famous that's why i went in the first place and then there was a lady named lorelei and she was talking so fast i could barely understand what she said but it was so wonderful and i was so hyped up on caffeine that it all made sense somehow okay <laughs> what about you em <laughs> my best small town experience was i was driving up or i guess down down the highway the furthest west you can possibly go in the states Mm-hmm. And we were going down the coast, and we had just crossed the border into California territory. And we stopped at a gas station, and my first thing I see when I step out of the vehicle is a lady selling chihuahuas off the roof of her vehicle. And you bought one? No. It was a close thing, though. <laughs> you should have bought one! That would have made quite the story, hey? <laughs> and I- that's how we got Mr. Wiggles. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I will say that I, I'm just saying my best experience because I was so taken aback. I was like, this is interesting. We don't have this in Canada. This is not a thing here in the Canadia. No, in Canadian small towns, just because I spend a lot of time in them, it's mostly just truckers and... Uh, bad food people and with dirty guns. washrooms. Yeah, and bad food and dirty washrooms pretty much sums it up. All right, my spin. What is the first small town stereotype you can think of? Okay, for me, just because we are residing Hicks. in Alberta, it's Hicks. 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 100%. That's, I know. You said that, and I was like, Hicks. I know. They're all rednecks. That's because of where we're from. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right? 
I feel like if we lived the same BC, we'd probably be like hippies. But maybe maybe hicks though too, because I have driven through a lot of BC small towns. They have a lot of hicks out there too. There's some weird small towns. There was this one that I drove through on my way to Regina when I was going there a few years ago for six weeks. Once upon a time, six years Once ago. upon a time when I thought I was going to be a journalist. Yes. <laughs> and then I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, surprise, surprise. The end. <laughs> But I drove through this one town and there was a super weird site. It was a bunch of small trailers in like a circle. And then on the outskirts of it, there was like burnt trucks and like burnt down like houses and stuff. And then there was this giant bonfire in the middle. And I was like, hopefully I don't break down here because that's for sure cults. <laughs> that sounds like a redneck pentagram. <laughs> it was so creepy. I like thought about it. You should have taken a picture. I thought about it. And if I wasn't by myself, I would have. You were by yourself? I was by myself. In a redneck pentagram? I was, because I was just driving by, and I was like, mm, I really don't want to break down here, and, like, I'm on, like, a quarter tank, so, like, I kind of hope I don't <laughs> die near this town. It's like that episode of Supernatural with that one small town where, like, anybody who stops for <laughs> gas who's not from the small town, they're like, you're stuck here forever now, partner. And I'm like, no! I, ju- I just want to go to Regina to get stabbed. That's all I'm <laughs> just, trying to do. I just want to go get stabbed in Regina. <laughs> That's all I'm trying to do. I'm going to the Queen City to get stabbed. <laughs> oh my god. Would you rather move to a small town or a big city? Big city. That's not even. I, I already knew that about you. I am so much more of a big city person. I'm just not a small. Like, even the city that we're in currently, where you live, is too small. It's too small for me. Like, still, like, it's got like a hundred thousand people, but it's too small. For, like, even Calgary is kind of too small for me. I'm like, oh, there's nothing to do here. What the fuck do people do here? That's because you're so thirsty for New York. It's not even. I funny. just want to move to New York. <laughs> That's all I want to do in life. I feel like I'm really not opposed to either or because I do a lot of traveling. I feel like you're not a big city person. I don't know. Like, like I feel after, like you... after being to a big city, like with you when we were traveling through Europe, I kind of have a better idea of it now because it was definitely a lot more busier in my head mm-hmm. than I figured it was going to be. And it actually wasn't too, too bad. I feel like you wouldn't be happy there long term. I wouldn't be happy long term. But I also don't think I'd be happy long term in a smaller town either. Like a mid-sized city is... Literally where I live is good for me. <laughs> it's like right in the middle. Yeah. One well, another spin. Last question, guys. What's your favorite small town show? Gilmore Girls. That was my story from earlier, by the way. <laughs> and yeah, Jenny does not actually know any of the people <laughs> she talked about. It was all from Gilmore Girls. I'm sure some of you caught on. What's your favorite small town show. I would probably have to say the Gilmore Girls too, just because if I could move to a small town, I'd want to move to that small town, because it's not what real small towns are like. It's no, very, not at all. It's very picturesque and, like, friendly. But yes, so our topic this week, if you uh, ha- have forgotten, or if you're still listening, here's a description <laughs> on small towns. Oh, these are always so good. Well, it's not really a description. <laughs> oh my god, is it ever? Rather than some statistics. <laughs> Mm. Yes, so, a big city. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) 
is considered to be 300,000 plus people within the city limit. A city is 100,000 to 300,000 citizens within city limits. A small city is 20,000 to 100,000 citizens within limits. A big town is 7,000 to 20,000 citizens within limits. A town is 800 to 7,000 citizens within limits. A small town is 200 to 800 citizens within limits. A village is 50 to 200 citizens within limits. And a hamlet is a community with less than 50 members. Now, you want to know what I learned from these statistics? What? That my significant other grew up in a village. Great. Right? (laughs) It makes me feel so worldly. I'm like, you grew up in a village, honey. Honey, I'm from the big city. You're from a village. (laughs) To write a song. I'm from the big city, boy. Honey, you're from a village and I'm from a big city, boy. But yes, so, do you... Uh, I'll start. Okay. I got my story loaded up for right hair. I am rich. Today we're going to talk about David Parker Ray, who was born on November 6th in 1939 in Bellin, New Mexico, USA. And to give you some reference, the population of Bellin, New Mexico in 2017 was like 7,000 people, so probably a lot less back in the... The 40s. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck even knows? I don't know. <laughs> I could probably research it, but I didn't. But so I didn't. now here we are. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and let's continue. <laughs> During his childhood, Ray and his younger sister Peggy lived with their disciplinarian. 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 That's a word, right? Oh, I've never their, read that word. Their disciplinarian grandfather. If it's not a word, it is now. I'm educated, guys. It's a word. Yeah. I think. Okay. We'll I- take it. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Who the fuck even knows? Okay. He was uh, sporadically visited by his violent alcoholic father who would supply him with magazines depicting sadist pornography. That's interesting. In like a very... It's a weird gift from a father to a child. Yes. That's a good way to put it. I think we can all agree on that. I think most children probably would like a teddy bear or Hmm. a race car. Cool trucks, you know. Sadist pornography. Yeah, it's all... Which one are you going to get when you're at Walmart? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you can buy sadist pornography from Walmart. Who knows? Those super centers have everything. (laughs) Save money, live better. Mountaineer High School in Mountaineer, New Mexico. He was also bullied by his peers for his uh, shyness around girls. He had some interesting sexual fantasies, as you can probably imagine as a child who's given um, weird weird porn. Weird porn at young age, yep. He had fantasies of raping, torturing, and even murdering women, and it developed during his teenage years. Around this time, his sister discovered his... Sadistic. Yes. His his draw his pornographic drawings mm-hmm. as well as pornograph photographs of bondage acts. Ooh, nice. After completing This is all sarcasm, by the way. My fave. Yeah. No. <laughs> After completing high school, he worked as an auto mechanic and received an honorable discharge from the US Army, where his service also included work as a general mechanic. Mm-hmm. 
He was divorced four times and had two children, including Glenda Jean, a.k.a. Jesse Ray. Huh. I, mean, I don't know how you get Jesse from that, but I'll take it. So, why are we talking about Ray? You may ask yourself. Well, I mean, it's probably pretty obvious, because if you've listened to this podcast before, you probably know. Yes. Uh, I have a suspicion. <laughs> hmm, my detective skills are coming out. <laughs> my spidey senses are tingling. <laughs> Something may be wrong with Ray. I mean... <laughs> Maybe. 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 Just maybe. I have a feeling. You don't bring up sadistic pornography without having a point to it. Okay, well, we're going to talk about him because of a little nickname that he gained as an adult. And do you want to guess what that nickname is? I have literally no idea. Guess. Uh, What would would you call good old David Parker Ray? Porn guy? (laughs) Porno guy Maybe? I don't know. His nickname was the Toy Box Killer. Oh, I've heard of this, I think. I don't know the story, but I've heard of the Toy Box Killer. Yes. Very notorious. Okay, gotcha. Ray sexually tortured and presumably killed his victim using whips, chains, pulleys, straps, clamps, leg spreader bars, surgical blades, and saws. All of those things instantly made me nauseous. <laughs> oh, they're all... <laughs> they're all... <laughs> it is thought that he terrorized many women with these tools for many years while living in New Mexico. With the added assistance of multiple accomplices, allegedly including several of the women he was dating, inside the torture room, along with numerous sex toys, torture implements, syringes, and detailed diagrams showing different methods and techniques for inflicting pain, there was a homemade electrical generator that was used for torture. A mirror was mounted in the ceiling above the gynecologist-type table upon which he would strap his victims. Ray would also put his victims in wooden contraptions that bent them over and immobilize them while he had his dogs and sometimes other friends rape them. He has been said to have wanted his victims to see everything he was doing to them during the torture sessions. Ray would often have a recorded audio tape of himself played for his victims whenever they regained consciousness. Oh, nice. What a stand-up dude that Ray was. That all is terrible. All of it. And we're not even done. Well, like, what's the toy box part? Or are we getting to that? Well, that's all of his... It was, like, his toy box of... Oh! Of things that he... His murder used. kit. Yeah, his, his murder kit. His hashtag murder kit. Okay, I Hashtag gotcha. murder kit on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, guys. I mean, you can. Um, I mean, we won't stop you. Yeah. Live and let live. (laughs) Ray posed as an undercover police officer and approached Cynthia Vigil in a parking lot. He told her she was under arrest for solicitation of sex work and handcuffed her. He put her in his trailer and took her to Elephant Buttle. After three days of captivity, Vigil escaped from his trailer at Elephant Buttle on March 22nd, 1999. To escape, she waited until Ray went to work, then managed to get the keys to unlock her chains that Ray accomplice Cindy Hendy had left on a nearby table while Hendy was in in another room on the phone. After Vigil got the keys, Hendy noticed Vigil's attempt to escape and a fight ensued. Okay, so there's a lady who helped him? Yes, so a lot of the people, the women that he was, like, actually dating would help him torture other women. Okay. I'm thinking they would have to have the same interests as him. Or he was so manipulative that they just went along with it. Yeah, that's that's a weird situation. Gross! Nobody... 
there's not a single person on this planet who I would date and be okay with doing this with. I'd be like, who? Actually, uh, I just realized I'm gonna have to move to another country. <laughs> Ooh, sorry, I gotta water my dog. Bye, see you never. <laughs> Bye. Also, I'm changing my name. <laughs> Please do never contact me again, sir. Mm-hmm. During the struggle, Hendy broke a lamp on the victim's head. Vigil managed to unlock her chains and stab Hendy in the neck with a ice pick. Mm. Hendy fell to the floor and Vigil escaped. Vigil ran away naked, wearing only an iron slave collar and padlock chains. Once Vigil escaped, she ran down the road seeking help, later getting assistance from a nearby homeowner. The homeowner took Vigil in, confirmed comforted her, and then called the police. Mm-hmm. Her escape finally led to officials to the trailer and capture Ray and his accomplices. After Vigil's escape, police apprehended Ray and Hendy, and Ray was arrested. After the publicity surrounding the arrest, another victim, Angelica Montano, came forward. She told a similar story and said that she had reported the incident to the police, but there had been no follow-up. Oh, nice. Other women kidnapped from Raymond's lounge in Truth or Consequences also came forward. Mm. The manager of Raymond's lounge was an accomplice. Oh, nice. Yeah. So basically this fucker who owns this lounge is just like okay with him taking women and having his way with them. Yeah. That's horrific. How does he find these people? I don't know. It makes me scared. And how would nobody, like, I would imagine in order to recruit people who are into the same thing that you are, that you'd have to be talking to other people about it for a while and yet nobody ever said anything? It's disgusting. Like, hey, there's this guy who's been chatting me up at the bar who likes to torture people for fun. Might want to look into it. (laughs) The Ray, the owner of this lounge, Mm -hmm. was an armed state park officer and the manager at Raymond's Lounge, and that gave him credibility, despite knowing that the woman would be kidnapped. Numerous individuals, including members of law enforcement, were accomplices in the torture and raping box. Nice. Well, that tells you what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Bodies were not discovered because they were dumped down abandoned mines in the east side of Cabello Lake by Ray's accomplices. Ray had a video of another victim, Kelly so Garrett. So he really did build, like, a huge circle of people. Yeah. Who, this is, like, a literal, like, mafia-type setup. I know, and the fact that he had people, like, in the police force, which is probably why he got away for it for so long. Well, of course. Well, whoever would have reported it, like... Say, They'd have been like, okay, bye. It's like a, like a coin toss. Okay, is the guy I'm talking to on the other side of the phone one of his accomplices, or is it somebody else, right? Mm, that's so scary. I hate hearing stuff like that. Oh, I know. It just makes you edgy. It makes me edgy. It gives me goosebumps, <clears throat> actually. I know. Ray had a video of another victim, Kelly Garrett, which dated back to 1996. Garrett was ultimately found alive in Colorado after police identified a tattoo on her ankle. Garrett later testified that she had gotten into a fight with her husband and decided to spend the night playing pool with friends. On July 24th, 1996, Ray's daughter, who was friends with Garrett, took her to the Blue Water Saloon in TRC and drugged a beer she was drinking. Garrett managed to make it to the parking lot when Ray hit her from behind, knocking her unconscious. Ray took her to his trailer and attached a dog collar on a leash to Garrett. Garrett awoke, but blacked out several times during two days of torture and drugging. During this time, Ray noticed she was breathing and slashed her throat open. Thinking he had killed her, Ray dumped her on the side of the road near Cabello. She was later treated for her injuries at a local clinic. Neither her husband nor police believed her story. 
Her throat was cut. How do you not believe it? Her husband believed she had been cheating on him that night and she was attacked. He filed for divorce and Garrett relocated to Colorado. She was later interviewed in cold case files about her ordeal. How shitty of a husband do you have to be? I hope he feels like an asshole. Oh my god. I hope he does. Can you imagine being like, oh yeah, she's just a fucking bitch who cheated on me. And then later finding out, no, she was telling the truth and I'm just a huge dick. He actually, people, I feel like people who think like that anyway, so he's probably thinking he's in the right still. He's, he's like, he's like, no, that didn't happen. If she hadn't left, then this would never have happened. Right? Like something stupid like that. Give me a neck to punch. I'm ready. Two other accomplices were un- uncovered by the investigation. Glenda Jean, Jesse Ray, his daughter, mm-hmm. and Dennis Yancey. Yancey admitted to strangling a former girlfriend, Marie Parker, after Ray had kidnapped and tortured her. Yancey was eventually convicted of second degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and received two 15-year terms. Since that murder, Ray has allegedly admitted to having an accomplice named Billy Bowers, a previous business partner whom Ray also murdered. Surprise. (laughs) The FBI sent 100 agents to examine Ray's property and surroundings, but no identifiable human remains turned up there. They didn't say no human remains, though. So that means they found stuff, but that they couldn't identify, identify who it was. Yeah. <gasps> mm-hmm. That's sick. So disgusting. To prevent women from reporting the crimes, Ray had drugged them with agents to induce amnesia. He taped himself telling one woman the drugs were sodium pentothal and penodebertable. I don't know. I can't speak English. I don't <laughs> speak pharmacy. <laughs> That's above my pay grade. I don't speak chemistry. <laughs> what am I, a scientist? Like <laughs> a scientist. <laughs> I am not Bill Nye, nor will I ever be. But no. that would be cool. Goals, though. Goal. It's it's on my bucket list. It's like, on my bucket list. Not there I'm yet. I'm going to watch Friends and become Bill Nye. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I want to accomplish for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's it. I love it. <laughs> Anyway, so I gave her, he told her it was some shit. I don't know if it was or not. <laughs> and one woman remained uncertain that her recollections of abuse were anything but nightmares until contacted by the FBI. Oh, nice. Can you imagine? I know. I'm thinking the same thing. No, I'm thinking, imagine having these awful nightmares and you're like, I don't know what happened. I was out with my friends and now I'm having all these terrible dreams. Like, I don't even know what happened. And then being contacted and being like, wow, it was a real experience. Great. Just add that to my list of trauma. <laughs> add that into my already oversized baggage I carry with me. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, That's so terrible. After questioning, she came to remember her mistreatment and in, in increasing detail. Well, of course, because now that you know it's true, it's like, okay, so now... Now it, like, starts to, like, connect the dots. Yeah, you're like, oh, yep, that makes sense. A determination was made that Ray would be tried in three separate trials. One for Cynthia Vigil, two for Angelica Montano, and three for Kelly Jarrett. Trial one resulted in mistrial and retrial, with conviction in the retrial on all 12 counts for which he was accused. Mm -hmm. But Ray agreed to a plea bargain under the terms of which he was sentenced to 224 years in prison for numerous offenses involved in the abduction of sexual torture of three women in his elephant buttle like home. Mm. 
Ray's daughter, Glenda Jean, aka Jesse Ray, mm-hmm. was also tried on charges of kidnapping. She Good. was sentenced to two and a half years in prison with an additional five years to be served on probation. Like, that does not seem like enough. No, if you're, especially the nature of the kidnapping. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Part of it, well, she was probably brainwashed because she was his daughter. Well, that probably factored in really heavily, too. They're like, well, he raised her and she's doing this while he's doing this. So she's really fucked up, obviously. She's more of a victim of circumstance than she is. You have to wonder, did he abuse her as well? It's possible, right? You know? But who, yeah, like, who's to say? That's a very, that's very bad. Unknown. Yeah. (laughs) Unknown. In 1999, accomplice Dennis Roy Yancey was convicted on the strangulation murder of Marie Parker in Elephant Buttle, which Ray recorded. In 2000, Cindy Hendy was an accomplice who testified against Ray, received a sentence of 36 years for her role in the crimes. Mm-hmm. She was scheduled to receive parole in 2017. On May 28, 2002, Ray was transported to the Lee County Correctional Facility in Hobbs, New Mexico to be questioned by state police. He died of a heart attack before the scheduled interrogation took place. Mm-hmm. In 2010, Yancey was paroled after serving 11 years in prison, but the release was delayed by difficulties in negotiating a plan for residence. Three months after his release in 2011, Yancey was charged with a violation of probation. He is to be remain in custody until 2021 to serve the remainder of his original sentence. That astounds me that you could have somebody do that, be sentenced to hopefully die in prison, and then still gets to get out and hang around with normal people. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. I'm surprised I actually haven't heard about that because I listen to a lot of crime podcasts. Now you know. It might just be that I don't remember. But yeah, no, that was something else. I found it really interesting. All right. Now are you ready for my story? I am ready for your story. What's your story, Emery? <laughs> uh, well, let's get to it. A small town generally is a community possessing... I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you want to fight? Yeah. <laughs> A small town generally is a community possessing a post office and not much else. Maybe a gas station or two. If you live within 10 minutes of a Walmart, <laughs> chances are you don't live in a small town. Also, it sh- uh, should not be said that there is nothing to do if there is a Walmart around because there's a high probability that there is a theater or a fast food restaurant around too. Man, city people get bored too easily. If they have one uneventful night, they automatically say, I hate living in this small town, when in actuality they should be saying, this isn't so bad. Imagine living in a real small town. Why is that me? I know. I was. I read that and I was like, I feel very called out right now. <laughs> How rude. Are you ready? I'm ready. Take me on this roller coaster. So, a Washington town spent years and 10% of its budget trying to keep a dude from living in a shed. Springdale, Washington has a population of just 280 people. Unfortunately for them, one of those 280 people was Dawood Ahmad, an Islamic convert who proclaimed that his religious freedom allowed him to live in a shed with no plumbing. Ahmad's little abode is owned by a nonprofit called Muslim America, uh, which thought it was doing a home homeless member a solid. Springdale argued that the building was unfit for human occupation and that Ahmad was uh, violating their right to enforce the building codes. So beginning in 2009, the dispute erupted into a sprawling years-long legal battle. Springdale's annual budget is around $150,000 to $170,000 and they were spending 10% on that of legal fees every year. So Ahmad won, or lost depending on how you look at it, by dying in 2012 while still occupying the shed, but two of his pupils as 
well as his wife, continued to occupy what she called a cute little place. So up until 2014, the courts had been on team, you can't live in a dang shed, <laughs> ruling that Ahmad's wife and Muslim America owned Springdale, 23000 in legal fees, but the shed supporters countered by arguing for a religious exemption to building and zoning codes. That plunged the case right back into a legal quagmire from which it has yet to emerge. Maybe they could solve this dilemma by instituting a merciless speed trap and using a fraction of the profits for pauper housing. That's funny though because I knew somebody in university who lived in a shed because that's all he could afford and he's like yeah I live in a shed it's it's okay. There's literally somebody just down the block from me who lives in a shed but it's a fancy shed. It has a mailbox. A glorified (laughs) tiny house. Yeah it has a mailbox and it has another shed on top of it so it looks like a small house but I I know better. You know it's a shed. Right? So small towns police blotter is a riot. So Tell me more. Tell me more. Is it really a riot? (laughs) (laughs) In one Alaskan fishing village, crime is a laughing matter. It's not the crimes that have residents chuckling so much as how they're written about. The Unalaska crime report is full of eagle aggression and intimate encounters gone awry in the Aleutian Islands. When Sergeant Jennifer Shockley heads out on patrol every day... Jennifer, what a good name. I know, right? There's some consistency here. (laughs) Uh, She's got the police blotter on her mind. Her goal is to paint a detailed picture of the town's often ridiculous crimes. I can only imagine that someone who's never been here would think that this is some kind of twilight zone town where every form of human oddity and absurdity exists all at once, exacerbated by alcohol, she says. <laughs> it usually is. It usually is. <laughs> yep, that sounds actually right about right. Yep. <laughs> so, twilight zone is an understatement. Since Shockley first started compiling the Unalaska crime report six years ago, she's written about vampire attacks, herds of feral horses chasing down cyclists. I didn't even know horses could be, like, feral. Yeah, they're called wild horses. Yeah, but it didn't necessarily mean that they're... They're... (laughs) They're not tamed. (laughs) They're wild. I just thought they were nice. In the mountains somewhere. Feral seems so harsh. (laughs) It seems like they have sharp teeth. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like they're angry about something. (laughs) Well, they were because they chased down a bunch of cyclists. (laughs) And ravenous prowlers who steal boxes of handkerchiefs, only to be discovered by a trail of blood and pizza they left behind. Which sounds like something I would do. Yeah, it does. Right? So, the crime that happens in Unalaska, also known as the Dutch Harbor, is innocuous for the most part. That gives Shockley some creative license. So, here's some examples. (laughs) Domestic disturbance. A grown man asked an officer to tell his grown... Why do I do this? It's an English word. (laughs) I just don't know how to read it. It's dipsomaniac. Dipsomaniac? Dipsomaniac son to go Betty by. The officer helped the drunk to bed, but declined the request to feed the family cat on the way out. Or this one about a routine animal complaint. Petite piles of poo prompted protests to police. While most blotters are dry retellings of police department calls, Shockley's are so outrageous that they even make her laugh. Uh, She strews her write-ups with words like ruffian, stern nutation, belligerent, and lout. And her storytelling has earned a following larger than the town. So James 
Mason, the editor of the Dutch Harbor Telegraph and a regular publisher of The Blotter, says that Shockley has readers across Europe and South America, according to Google Analytics. He describes Shockley, uh, Shockley's entries as little soap operas and says they're far and away from his most anticipated feature. My hits on Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday are the highest of the week, and that's because of her blotter. Mason says, <laughs> for the most part, Shockley enjoys the positive feedback and gets a kick out of being able to mix a little bit of wordplay into what would otherwise be a dull part of her job. As far as she's concerned, any minor incident is a poem waiting to happen. I'm still searching for the perfect palindrome, she says. I haven't found it yet, and I think it's going to be really, really difficult to do, but I would love to have an entry that's the perfect palindrome. So, and one day, Shockley thinks she'll find a situation that they're just waiting to be turned into a limerick. It's gonna happen. I, I feel it. Right? So here's some highlights from her crime reports, okay? Theft. 2042. 11. 25. 11. Andrew Boschel, a Russian national and apparent fan of American television was caught stealing a deadliest catch t-shirt from the Alaska ship supply. Bushal, who insisted he had intended to pay for the shirt, which he had stuffed inside his zipped up jacket, was charged with one account of concealment of merchandise. <laughs> Public safety. 146 11 9 11. Officer watched three extremely intoxicated and giggling louts urinate on the road, on themselves, and on one another, and on a taxi in front of the Harborview bar. The wet legged men abashedly explained to the admonishing officer that they had been kicked out of the bar before having an opportunity to use the restroom there. Tragic. I know. It wasn't even their fault. <laughs> <laughs> they only peed on each other. It's fine. <laughs> that was punishment enough. That is punishment enough. <laughs> Drunk disturbance at a time at a date. Because I don't want to read those anymore. At a time, at a date. Officers responded to a food fight on board a fishing vessel where they found that the captain and another man had thrown mashed potatoes, corn dogs, and jalapenos at the cook's stateroom door. The captain, who denied involvement until reminded by officers that his shoes were covered in with food similar to that found in the hallway, was advised to apologize and treat his crew with more respect. Well, well I'm wondering what, what he, the cook would have done to invoke jalapenos being thrown at his door. <laughs> he must have real, made some real shit jalapeno bread. Right? <laughs> okay, so an animal. Caller reported a middle-aged beagle had walked into her home and stayed there for at least an hour. <laughs> Officers tried to unsuccessfully capture the errant canine, which was retrieved by his owner about three hours later. That he's damn like, beagle. He's like that shithead. <laughs> <laughs> Coming in here. Tell Fred he can walk himself home. <laughs> Get him the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. So suspicious person activity. A twitchy bunkhouse resident claimed, among other things, that his housemates have been removing his fingerprints from framed photos in order to incriminate him in nefarious crimes. <laughs> An officer advised the man to better secure his personal belongings and suggest that reducing illicit drug use might also reduce his paranoia. <laughs> True, though. Pro tip. True, true, though. So, theft. A grocery store patron demanded that she be given a bag of shrimp, which she claimed to have already paid for. The patron stalked off with the shrimp after an employee, believing that something fishy might be going on, took matters <laughs> to his supervisor. Store management elected to handle the matter without police assistance. Missing person. Captain reported a crewman had not returned to the vessel. The missing crewman, who had been enjoying the company of a lady friend, returned about an hour later. <laughs> Domestic disturbance. Drunken boarding house tenant reported that his equally drunken nemesis had taken his cell phone. <laughs> nemesis. Had taken his cell phone and he wanted it back. 
Officers told both sots they would go to jail if they continued behaving toward one another in such a fashion. Get it together, Jeremy! <laughs> Dylan, Jeremy, work it out! Figure out your own shit and stop calling the police! <laughs> Assault. Yet another boarding house tenant reportedly being threatened by one of the drunken louts to whom officers had already spent considerable time speaking. The lout told officers he would never say such a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Funny. Animal. An exasperate... Okay. An exasperated, exhausted, immature eagle, which had entrapped itself inside a crab pot, was able to fly to safety after an officer climbed a stack of crab pots and cut a a raptor-sized hole in the netting. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. That is cute. (laughs) Welfare, Welfare check. Caller asked officers to check on two men who were inhaling nitrous oxide from whippet canisters in the Safeway parking lot. An officer officer contacted the two men who claimed they would not be driving after inhaling and would cause no problems this evening. (laughs) I swear. We're fine. We're just inhaling whippet canisters. (laughs) Just a regular Wednesday evening, you know. As as one does, yep. So, trespass. Officers responded to a hotel room where the two Whippet boys <laughs> were disturbing other guests with their ranxious behavior. The two men bemoaned the deterioration in the quality of people now living in the community after being told they were not allowed to return to the hotel's premises. I wouldn't let the Whippet boys anywhere near it either. I like how they're called the Whippet boys. <laughs> Sounds like a boy band. <laughs> Whippet. We're the Whippet boys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And all they sing is a cover of Whippet Real Good by, uh... But it's, uh, like, really soft and eloquent and it's, like, acoustic. Mm, yeah. I feel ya. Assistance rendered. Officers responded to the airport regarding a report of a drunken man causing numerous problems in the terminal. Investigation revealed that the single besotted man had roundly cursed airline employees after attempting to pick fights with no less than five people. His last <laughs> victim, who told officers he was performing a community service smacked the drunk on the head and then stood over him and told him not to be so rude. None of the victims wished to pursue charges as they all felt justice had already been served. (laughs) That's great. I love that. I know. When I was reading these, I was like, I gotta put them in. I gotta. Jennifer did her work. I have to do her justice. (laughs) And then noise disturbance. Caller reported hearing a fight in progress at a neighboring residence. A wet woman clad in only a bath towel abashedly explained to responding officers that the fight they were investigating at her house was simply loud, intimate relations. (laughs) Ooh, steamy. I do think that happens a lot though probably in like smaller complexes i imagine it happens all the time as a person who lives in an apartment building can confirm <laughs> you're like not soundproof <laughs> not at all you hear <laughs> everything you hear that we know everything about you <laughs> we know jeremy is mad at melissa because she overspent 20 dollars last week mm-hmm. at the grocery store on organic food and they agreed they weren't gonna buy organic this month and now she's upset because she's like your dick is too small anyways for me to care about this (laughs) get the fuck out of my face (laughs) 
<laughs> what are you doing here? Right? And then, occur law violation. Officers responding to an alleged assault found two inebriated underage drinkers who both denied having fought with one another, but readily admitted to consuming cheap beer all evening. <laughs> both were cited for minor consuming. Animal. AST rescued a seal that had apparently become stuck on a piece of ice. I don't know how that happens. It's like they they were licking the ice and their tongue got stuck. <laughs> That'd be terrible. They're like, ah, uh, help, uh, help, please, someone help. What do I do? I've made a terrible mistake. That's an ocean animal and it's stuck. Help. And then the last one is public safety. Road devouring drifts and perilously slick roads prompted issuance of yet another Category 1 travel advisory. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's the nice way of saying the roads were shit. (laughs) I I like that. I feel like Jennifer took a real shit job and, like, made it fun. Made it exciting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But yeah, no, that is the end of both of my stories, though. We had Shed Dude and then Jennifer's awesome police work. (laughs) A plus police work. I'd hire her. Right? A plus. A plus, Jennifer. And great name, by the way. (laughs) Your favorite name. It's so good. (laughs) You must be a great person. (laughs) Right? But uh, I don't know. I think that brings us to the end of our episode, though. It does. Should uh, Actually, we're not spinning the wheel this episode, which is No, sad. we're doing a feature episode next week. We're going to talk about Easter crimes, because next week is Easter, I think. It shouldn't be. Yeah, even if it's not, it is now. Well, it's an approximate date. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you can find us on uh, Stitcher if you listen. I haven't checked. Give us, listen to us on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> and give us five stars on iTunes. And... You know, you can give us five stars and tell us anything. We don't even care if it's nice. We're annoying and that we're unorganized and ignorant because those are all probably correct. I mean, just just really dish it out, guys. We're ready for it. We're ready. I'm ready to be burnt. (laughs) Roast me. Roast me. Your audio quality is terrible. Why are you echoing? Why does one of you always sound far away? Why is Emily's fan on? (laughs) These are the questions I ask myself. These are the questions that haunt me late at night. (laughs) When you're editing? When I'm editing. (laughs) Yes, and then uh, you can also find us on Spotify. And Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're at Wheel of Crime. Yeah! Thanks for listening to Wheel of Crime! Okay, we can try again. What? One, two, three. Wheel Wheel of Crime! The... Okay, one, two, three. The Wheel of Crime! Until next week, folks, this is Emily signing off.